Well, today we're beginning a new message series called Jesus, Your Everything. And guess who we're going to be talking about in this series? We're going to be talking about Jesus, the most controversial and yet the most influential person who's ever lived on this planet. Now, even today in America, the so-called Christian nation, the name of Jesus stirs up all kinds of strong reactions with people. You can pray a prayer and end your prayer in God's name, but if you end it in Jesus' name, you run into trouble. Now, why is that? Well, many people simply speak of God. They don't even use the name of Jesus. And the problem with this is that God means different things to different people. To the Muslim, God is Allah. To the Hindu, God is Brahman. To the Mormon, there are many gods and you and I may become one one day. And we could go on and on. Different religions have different meanings for God. They're not just different names for God. The God they describe is completely different from the God that is revealed to us in the Bible. Jesus, on the other hand, was a historical figure. He was a man who actually lived on this earth. He lived and died 2,000 years ago. Historical accounts record what he said and what he did. Of course, the major accounts we have in the Bible, but other history records the life of a man named Jesus Christ, that he died and that he rose from the dead three days later. And so when we speak of Jesus, we can't just make things up because, as people can with God, because Jesus lived. And there is a historical account that must be taken into accordance. Jesus said in John 5, 39 and 40, and you can follow along with me in a white page in the middle of your bulletin. You might want to pull that out if you haven't already. It has the scriptures written out here and the outline of the message to help you follow along with me. On the back of the outline is some study questions. I encourage you to use those in your daily time with God. They're also the basis for the life group meetings as well, the discussion there. John 5, 39 and 40 says, you diligently study the scriptures, Jesus is speaking here, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so Jesus is saying here that the scriptures themselves do not give us eternal life. The scriptures themselves point us to the one who gives us eternal life, and that is Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us all about him, and they point us in the right direction, and yet he is the one that gives life. Now let's think for a minute about who Jesus is to a believer who has received him and has eternal life. Jesus is to be a believer's everything. Not just a little corner of their life, not just part of their life on Sunday morning, not just a thought every day or two, but he is to be everything to the believer. A believer loves Jesus more than anything else or anyone else in life. A believer obeys everything that Jesus tells them to do. They go, well, I think I'll do this, but no, this one I'm not going to do. No, a believer obeys everything that Jesus tells them to do. 
A believer talks to, to God all day long. They pray consistently. They pray continuously. A believer trusts Jesus with their whole life and their future because they know he holds it in his hand. A believer diligently studies God's word because he wants to know what God wants him to do. He wants to know what Jesus wants him to do. And so he takes time every day to study God's word. A believer tells other people about Jesus because Jesus is the best thing they've ever found and they want everybody to know about him. They're not ashamed. They're not afraid. They're not shy because Jesus is their everything. The list could go on and on. Jesus is to be a believer's everything. And so this series that I've entitled Jesus, Your Everything is going to be based on the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Colossae, which is in Asia Minor. And he wrote the letter to combat false teachings about, guess who? Jesus. People were teaching things that were not true. And so he wrote this letter to set things straight. The key phrase in Colossians is found in Colossians 3.11. It says, Christ is all and in all. And the whole letter is about who Jesus really is and how we can grow in our relationship to him. Today my message is entitled, Jesus, Your Future. Did you know that Jesus holds your future in his hand? And today we're going to be talking about how you can discover, how you can live out the future that Jesus has for you. There is a future that God has planned for your life. He doesn't have a hundred ways you could go. He has one way he wants you to go. And we need to discover and live out that way because... Many people miss the future that God has for them. Just because Jesus has a future for you doesn't mean that you're going to find it. Doesn't mean that you're going to walk it out. But he wants you to find it. He wants you to walk it out. He's there to help you do it. But we have a part to play in it. And a great deal of our responsibility comes in prayer. And so this very first section in Colossians we're going to look at today is a prayer. It's an apostolic prayer. It's a prayer by, by Paul for the church at Colossae. And, and this prayer is going to help us learn how to pray. It's an example of prayer that brings the future that Jesus has for us into reality. Because it's the future that Jesus had for this church at Colossae, for the believers there. And Paul was praying it to bring that future into reality. And secondly, the very content of this prayer is going to teach us how to live in the future that God has for us. So we're going to get started with this really incredible prayer this morning. There's two main sections in this prayer. The first section has to do with praying with thanksgiving. The prayer begins in verse 3 of Colossians chapter 1. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. You might want to underline that, always thank God. It's instructive that in this very first section of this prayer, it begins with thanksgiving. Now the second main section concludes with asking God for things, but it begins with thanksgiving. And that's very instructive because when we thank God first in our prayers, what does that do? It focuses our mind on Him and the good things that He has done. 
What do we tend to do? We tend to focus our mind on the problem at hand. And God wants us first and foremost to focus on Him. How great He is, what He has done for us in the past. And so that's what Thanksgiving does. Really, Thanksgiving looks back to the past, does it not? It looks back and, and you look over your life, you look over what God has done for you, and you thank Him for that. You thank Him for what He's done in your own life, and here... You thank him for what he's done in the lives of somebody else you're praying for. Now in this case, it was believers that Paul was praying for. And so he could thank God for the things that he had done in these believers' lives in the past. And so Paul here is not just praying for himself. He's praying for the believers in Colossae. And that can be a lesson for us as well. Not just to focus on ourselves, but to pray for others as well. So why is Paul thanking God for these other believers? He's thanking them because they are living with faith and love. Verse 4 says, because, he's saying we always thank God, because we've heard of your faith, in who? In Christ Jesus, and the love you have for all the saints. And so the first reason Paul is thanking God for these believers is because they have faith in Jesus Christ. Now that's, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? But it's true. If you're a believer, you have faith in Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're a believer. And no matter who the believer you're praying for is, you can thank God they have faith in Jesus Christ. Now these believers are not those who, who hid their faith. Their faith was visible. Others heard about it. We have heard of your faith. Ever heard of a secret agent believer? Nobody knows. I'm a believer in Jesus, but nobody knows. Now, you know, maybe in a country where persecution was rampant, there might be times you need to hide your identity as a believer, but there's no reason to hide your identity here. And even in those other countries, believers need to stand strong for the Lord. Their faith was visible. Paul had heard of their faith. The second reason that Paul gives thanks to God is for the love that the Class A believers were showing for other believers. He says, of the love you have for all the saints. All the saints. What, what are all the saints? You know, the believer call, I mean, the Bible calls all believers saints. If you're a believer this morning, you're a saint. I'll say, I'm a saint. I'll turn to the person next to you. If they're a believer, say, you're a saint. Okay, no need for some great commission to figure out if you've done a miracle or not. We don't pray to saints. Not just a select few are saints. Every believer is a saint. And so here we see Paul giving thanks for the marks of a believer. First of all, they have faith in Jesus Christ. That's the vertical dimension. There's their spiritual connection with God. And secondly, they have love for other believers. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to love other believers. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to want to be in a church with other believers. It's a mark of a believer. It's something to be thankful for. As we live with faith and love, God wants our lives to be motivated by a future hope. Verse 5 goes on to say, The faith and love... We just talked about faith and love that these believers have. It says that spring from the hope 
that is stored up for you in heaven. And that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come for you, come to you. And so the faith in love, faith in Jesus Christ, love for other believers are motivated by our hope that one day each believer, that includes you and I, if you're a believer this morning, are going to live forever with Jesus in heaven. That's a wonderful hope. It's not just a hope I hope that happens, but it's a sure hope. As a believer, we have an assurance that we have eternal life that's going to live with God forever in a place called heaven. I've been talking about that in our growth class on Sunday mornings. The new heavens and new earth is going to be absolutely wonderful, absolutely incredible. Now, where does that hope come from? Perhaps you're struggling this morning and certain aspects of your life may seem kind of hopeless. You know, sometimes we, we try to go a certain direction in life and it, it just isn't working out and we, we begin to lose hope. Where can we get hope? It says that hope is stored up for you in heaven and where have we heard about it? In the word of truth. In God's word. In the Bible. The Bible is given to us to encourage our hearts. The Bible is given to us by God to give us hope. It's the gospel or the good news. And when we read that good news, when our hearts are open to receive it, it plants a seed in our hearts. And as we continue to believe in the truth of God's word, that seed begins to spring up. That seed of hope, it, it springs up in our faith. And Jesus Christ grows and our love for other believers grow as well. And the result that Jesus is looking for is that every believer should bear fruit and grow. Verse 6, he says, All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. And so today, we can give thanks that the gospel is growing all over the world. In fact, it's growing much more rapidly in places other than America. It's growing much more rapidly in the third world countries. The people are much more receptive to it than in the so-called Christian nation, the United States of America. But we can give thanks that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing here and across the world. And how does that happen? How does the gospel bear fruit? How does it grow? It, it happens as, as believers tell other people about Jesus. When people understand that truth about Jesus Christ, they accept that truth the seed is planted in their lives and it begins to grow and fruit is born. And what is the fruit that is born? It's, it's the good things that God has planned for you to do. And when you begin to do those things, that's good fruit. It's impossible to be a believer without bearing fruit. It's impossible to be a believer without faith in Jesus Christ and love for his church. True believers always bear fruit and they grow in Jesus. That's their destiny. That's God's plan for their lives. Now let's look a little more closely at what we can learn from this prayer that's going to help us in our own prayer lives. Prayer is really the key to embracing the future that Jesus has for you. Without prayer, you're going to miss it. What we tend to do in our lives is look to the future, if you're like me, and worry about what may or may not happen. And worry about what wrong thing might happen. 
or worry about what good thing might not happen. And so we tend to have a negative view of the future. Worry will keep you from Jesus' future for you because the things we worry about are not God's future for us. And so we're fixing our mind and we're going over this and that. That's not what Jesus has planned for us. God wants you to replace worry in your life and heart with prayers of thanksgiving. Look back at your past. And if you're a believer, I guarantee you, you've got things to give God thanks for. Begin to thank Him for what He's done in your life. I mean, you could spend all day thanking Him for saving you. I mean, that's the most important thing that's happened to you in life and in eternity that God has reached out. The gospel has come to you and He's opened your heart to accept it. Give Him thanks for that. Give God thanks for what He's doing in the lives of other believers that you know. Might be other believers in your family, other believers in the church. Other believers, relatives that you know, give God thanks. Instead of complaining or grumbling about other people in your life, find something good about them and give thanks to God for it. You can use this prayer of Paul's as an outline for your prayer of thanksgiving. All the things that he's giving thanks to God for in the lives of other believers. And as you grow in thanksgiving. The Bible tells us to give thanks in everything. We're going to grow in our love for Jesus. We're going to grow in our faith. In Jesus Christ. And as we thank God for his provision in the past. It's going to give us faith to grow. For the future. That Jesus has for us. And so then we can move to the second part of the prayer, which is praying with asking or, or praying with a petition. The prayer continues in verse 9. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God. So the prayer began with thanking God for all the things He'd done in the lives of these believers. Again, we can apply this to our lives personally. We can apply this to other believers we know in our lives or in the church. Thanking God for them and it now moves to asking God for them. Asking God for somebody else is called intercession. We're interceding for somebody. Our natural tendency is to pray for who? Me. Just me. I've got enough problems. That's 100% of my prayers. I'm just going to pray about me. When I get my problems solved, then maybe I'll pray for somebody else. Well, God's probably not going to solve all your problems in this lifetime. So you're always going to have something to pray about for yourself, but God wants us to intercede for other people, to think outside the box, to think outside just about us. In fact, just praying for yourself is a little bit selfish, is it not? God wants us to pray for others, intercede for others, and that's what Paul is doing here and so what is Paul's first request? It's that they understand the will of God. He says, We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now as I was going through this, I thought, you know, that's a prayer request that's 
Not very common, is it? It should be something we pray a lot more than we do. If you desire somebody else or yourself to live for Jesus, to fulfill God's purpose, what do they need to understand? Well, we need to understand what God's will is. We need to understand the right thing to do in our lives. I mean, if we don't understand the right thing, how are we going to do it? We need to be filled with the knowledge of His will. Our whole being filled with what God wants us to do. And this spiritual wisdom and understanding comes through the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual wisdom and understanding. If you don't have a goal in life, you're unlikely to hit God's you're unlikely to hit that goal. If you don't know God's will, you're not going to fulfill it. But when you understand God's will, when that will is revealed to you, then you can live a life that's worthy of Jesus Christ. Paul says we pray this, and that's asking God to fill these people with the knowledge of God's will. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. To live a life worthy of Jesus Christ is to live a life pleasing to Him, a life that He says, well done. Good and faithful servant, you are doing what I want you to do. To live life worthy of Jesus is to live life according to God's will and not our own will. That's a life pleasing to God. We must live to please Jesus, our Lord. It says live a life worthy of the Lord. Worthy of the Master. You know, when the Lord tells you to do something, you do everything they say. You don't pick and choose. You don't think, I've got a better idea. You just say, yes, sir. Uh, some of you have been in the military, right? When the officer gives you a command, you say, well, I'm going to think about that. How would that go over? Not too good. You just say, yes, sir, and you do it. And that's what Jesus, as our Lord, expects of us. To be a believer is to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's to say Jesus is Lord and live life in that way. That Jesus truly is Lord. To simply want to go to heaven. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to heaven? To simply want to go to heaven doesn't make you a believer. To be a believer is to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And commit your life to following Him completely. Now, Paul's next going to explain four ways to live life worthy of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the creator of the universe. He's the Lord of lords, the, Lord, the King of kings, and we need to live worthy of him if we name his name. To be a Christian is to, be, is to take the name of Christ upon ourselves, is it not? A Christian is somebody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, and we need to live worthy of him and not bring shame upon his name. Four ways to live worthy of Jesus. First way is to do good for Jesus. Verse 10 says, bearing fruit in every good work. Now that should sound familiar because we just talked about it. It's one of the things that Paul gave thanks for that the, the believers in Colossae were doing. And so he gave thanks that they were doing it and now he asked God that they would continue to do it and increase in it. You know, you can do something for a while and then you can quit. 
But God wants us to continue on for all of our lives in, in bearing fruit in every good work. Keep it up. Do it even more. And as you do, grow in knowing Jesus. He says that they were to grow in the knowledge of God. The future that Jesus has for you is a future, is a future of growing to know him more and more. God is an infinite God. I'll just, you know, that's a good concept to meditate on sometime. What is an infinite God? You know, our universe is not even infinite. You know, they've seen the edge of the universe. But God is an infinite God. Sometimes people assume they know everything about God. And they understand the Bible and there's not need to study much more because they know it all. They don't really know it all, do they? We've just begun to scratch the surface of an infinite God. And so the understanding the Bible, God always has more to reveal to us. There's always more to learn about God no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. You might just be beginning. There's a lot to learn. You might have been walking with God your whole life. There's still much more to learn. And so a believer is somebody who is constantly growing in the knowledge of God. Life with Jesus is never meant to be boring. If you're bored in life, you're not following Jesus. Because life with Jesus is exciting. You've missed a turn somewhere in life if you're bored with life. Part of the problems you have in life are meant to be exciting because Jesus is there with you to help you go through those problems. What makes life exciting? It's when you face adversity and God helps you. When you face troubles and God helps you go through. And then you've got something to tell somebody else who's going through troubles and adversity. Jesus wants us to break out of our rut and grow in our relationship with him. Next, we need to be strong in Jesus' power. Verse 11 says, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. Just a little clue here that life isn't going to be a bed of roses. Because we need endurance. We need patience. We need to be strengthened with Jesus' power. Now why is that? Well, in order to live a life worthy of Him, we need strength to deal with the enemy. You see, there's an enemy in this world and his name is Satan, and he's out to attack every believer who is attempting to live worthy of Jesus Christ. And so the battle makes life interesting. There's an enemy who's out to steal, kill, and destroy. There's an enemy out to devour those who are not strong in Jesus' power. And so if you're a believer, you're going to be attacked by Satan. You're going to be attacked by his minions. You're going to be attacked by other people who knowingly or unknowingly are following his command. The Bible says, everyone who desires to live godly will be persecuted, will be attacked in one way or another. And so to endure with patience and withstand those attacks, we need Jesus' power in increased measure in our lives. And as you grow with God, 
as you grow stronger, as you walk with him longer, he allows greater attacks to come into your life. They don't get less, they get more. Because you're stronger and your faith has grown and you're able to accomplish greater things for God, but you're going to have to deal with stronger attacks. And Jesus' power is up to them. The last way to live worthy of Jesus is that Paul prays for believers in Colossae that they would give thanks to God. Paul had given thanks for those believers and everything that God was doing in their lives. And here he prays that they would learn to do the same thing. That they would learn to give thanks to God in every circumstance. They should give thanks to God for their kingdom future. Verse 12 says, And joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Joyfully giving thanks. You know, I suppose you could woefully give thanks. Well, this says to give thanks with joy. I'll be happy about it. Oh God, I thank you. No, so be happy about what you're giving thanks for. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. As a believer, you're qualified. You have an inheritance, an eternal inheritance in store for you in God's kingdom of light. It's, it's saved up for you in heaven. The Bible says that nothing can touch it. No matter what comes against you in this life, that inheritance is secure. And that's there for you forever and ever. And we get to share some of that inheritance even now here on this earth. Not all of it. Some people get confused. But some of it here on this earth. We can appropriate some of it. And for that inheritance in future, we give thanks to God today. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling discouraged, begin to give thanks. If you're feeling low, begin to give thanks. Easier said than done. But that's what God's word tells us to do. We give thanks for our future that God has for us up in the future. That's looking to the future, the future that Jesus has for us, both in this life and for eternity. And we give thanks for what God has done in the past for being rescued by Jesus. If you're a believer, then this is true of you. In verse 13 and 14, it says, For he, speaking of Jesus, has rescued us, or speaking of God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so these final two verses in this prayer bring us to the one who holds our past and future in His hand. It brings us to Jesus Christ. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. That's the kingdom that Every unbeliever lives in. People live in one of two kingdoms, either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. You're either in one or the other. There's no middle ground. You can't have your foot in one and one foot in the other. And God has rescued believers from the kingdom of darkness, brought them into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He's forgiven our sins and we have entered into that kingdom of light. And our future is guaranteed for us because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And we ought to be eternally grateful no matter what is going on in your life. If you're a believer here this morning, you can be thankful, joyfully thankful for what God 
has done by saving you. Now, what would happen if you drove your car down the road and you only looked in the rearview mirror? You're driving down and you're looking in the rearview mirror. 60 miles down the freeway looking in the rearview mirror. I think you'd quickly get in trouble. The car is moving forward and you're looking backwards. There's a problem with that. You're headed for disaster. And the same thing is true in our lives spiritually. Too many people live in the past. Some people live with regrets. Regrets about things done wrong. Or regrets about good things left undone. They live in the past. They can't get over it. Yes, we've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. But God doesn't want us to live in the past. He doesn't want us to go through life looking in the rearview mirror. Other people focus on the, the glory days of yesteryear. Nothing in the present, nothing in the future is going to compare to the time I was in high school and hit that home run. Oh man, that was just, that wasn't me, but uh, no home runs here. But, you know, people look to the past, the glory days. I mean, some people, their whole life is about high school. I don't get it. I can't even remember high school. But um, other people, they focus on some great thing in the past. They're always living in the past. Nothing compares to the past. But God wants us to give thanks for the blessings he's brought us in the past, but he wants our main focus to be on the future. That doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're 9, if you're, just picking these ages at random, 39 or 99. God wants, a, want, wants you to focus on the future. No matter what your age, God has a wonderful future for you that ultimately leads to heaven. And if you're 99, heaven is a lot closer, most likely. We don't know for sure. But most likely it's a lot closer than if you're 9. But we don't know for sure. But it's in the future for every believer. And that future that God has planned for you is not just about you. It's about all those that God has planned for you to influence in this life. It's not just about me and Jesus. That's wonderful. But there's other people here too. And God has put you in this life to influence others for him. Some people say, I don't know. You know, I, I can't do anything for Jesus. I'm not talented here. I, I can't do this. And I'm kind of shy. And I mean, people have all kinds of excuses. Let me just say, if you're alive and you can whisper a prayer, you can have influence for Jesus. And you can probably do a whole lot more than that. You can whisper something to somebody else. You can do something for Jesus. Don't just pray for yourself, pray for others. Pray for those who are far from Jesus. Pray that they would find him. Pray for those who are believers, that they would live lives worthy of him, that other believers would be able to be influencers for Jesus as well. Pray that we who are believers would live lives worthy of Jesus Christ. And we all have a ways to go in that. And when we pray, when we intercede for others, remember to give thanks. Give thanks for what God is already doing in their lives. Give thanks for what God is already doing in your life. And what he's going to do. We pray with asking. So prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of asking. God wants Jesus to be your everything. So that you can say, Jesus is my all in all. 
Jesus is my everything. He created you to live that way. He wants your, your life and your, your prayers to be filled with thanksgiving to Jesus. Not just requests of, for yourself. God wants your life and prayers to be filled with hope. Because Jesus has a good future for you. Not necessarily a future without a few bumps in the road and a few problems that he's going to help you through, but a wonderful future. And he wants you to influence others with the joy and hope that you have as well. And that begins with prayer. Asking God to touch other people's lives. Asking God to help other people understand and follow his will. Jesus paved the way for a wonderful future for every person who believes in him. And he did that by dying on the cross 2,000 years ago. When he died on that cross, he took everyone's sins upon himself and he paid the price so that the curse of sin was lifted from our lives when we believe in him. So that this wonderful future with him in eternity and heaven could be opened up for us because we were all headed towards a horrible eternity. We were all headed towards an incredibly awful eternity in a place called hell. And so this morning, if you struggle with being thankful for, the, for your future, if you're not sure of the future that God has for you, if you're not sure you have a relationship with him, oh, you might know about him, you might have heard about him, but boy, you don't really feel connected with God. We're going to pray a prayer here and I encourage you to either commit your life for the first time or recommit your life to him. There's times in every person's life when we need to recommit our lives to him, when we've kind of drifted away. We need to recommit our lives to Jesus Christ. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. And I encourage you to pray along with me in your own heart and mind as God directs you. To have this future with Jesus Christ, you need to be a believer. And to do that, you need to admit that you've sinned. Believe that Jesus died, that your sins might be forgiven. Ask him to forgive you. Commit your life to following him as your Lord and Savior. So let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for this incredible prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed that gives us insight into your will for our lives. This morning, we admit that we've sinned. We've done wrong things. We haven't been doing the good works that you planned for us to do. We've been simply pleasing ourselves. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, took my sins upon himself, paid the price, took the punishment for those sins, that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me for the sins I've done. I repent. I turn away from them. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I commit my life to following him all my days. In Jesus' name. And for those today who are believers, let's pray that God would make his word real in our lives. Father, our hearts today are filled with thanksgiving for what you've done. We thank you, God, for the faith that you've 
brought into our lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the faith of every believer that's here this morning. We thank you for their love for one another. And we thank you for the growth in our lives that we've seen in the past. We thank you for the good works that you've enabled us to do. And today we look forward to a wonderful future on this life and with Jesus in heaven forever. And yet we know, God, that there's still work to be done. There's still people that don't know about Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to live a life worthy of you. We'd, we pray that we would please you in everything that we do. Help us to grow in our faith towards you. Help our faith to increase. And help our love for one another to grow as well. May we be strong, God, in a world that is drifting away from you. May we fight against the ebb and flow of society around us. May we stand strong. Give us the strength, God, to pray for and to tell others about Jesus Christ who are headed to an awful eternity. May we never be ashamed of our love for Jesus, God. May we always hold our heads high and be a faithful witness for you. God, bless this church, God, by helping us to lead more people to Jesus Christ, to lead more people from darkness to light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.